say out loud and quote to ourselves sometimes who we are in Christ. Look in the mirror. I'm the bride of Christ. He hovers over me and watches me. And one day he'll come for us. Amen. He's coming back. Let's see. As we get started here, we have I, I, James, why don't you come up now? One of our elders, James Delgado. Yeah, we love James. Hey, this is crazy. My daughter went to high school with him and his wife. <laughs> but here we are. Back then, you never knew he'd be in church. This guy's crazy for the Lord. I'm going to let him share what's going on. Crazy. Man, I don't see Grace, but she had the 80s hairdo. It was just huge. I remember that. It was awesome. Sorry. Um, so what am I doing up here? I'm, yes, I am crazy. I am crazy for the Lord. Yes. And you won't typically find me in a bar, but I will fight for my lady. So don't, I'll, I'll do, I'll bust a bottle and stand behind Marcos. He's, you know, he's, he's my enforcer. Um, but no, I know, I know. Uh, but it's a blessing to be here. And I just want to take a few minutes to uh, uh, promote and talk about CareNet. Um, each year, I'm not sure which uh, year that they're in, but they have an annual event fundraiser. Some of you know about CareNet. Some of you have um, attended the fundraiser. Let me see a show of hands if you have before in the past. CareNet function. Well, what, from what I hear, um, I think it's Chris Rivera, our, one of our counselors. Uh, each counselor gets the Santa Fe Convention Center for... Um, a conference or project that they want each year, once a year, for free. And uh, Chris Rivera picks CareNet. Oh, thank you for having that up there. Um, so this is their annual event on October 23rd. I believe it's from 6 to 9 p.m. Um, and it's stated that on their website, CareNet's website, that 90% of their funds are generated from this fundraiser right here per year. So... It's an awesome, awesome event. If you've never been, um, they serve wonderful food. Um, there's no charge to get in. However, um, it is a fundraiser. So, again, your money would go to a wonderful cause. And I just want to read um, a few things from their website, uh, CareNet's website that you can see um, online. It says their mission. We offer practical, emotional, and spiritual support to women and men facing pregnancy and parenting decisions. And their vision is to uphold the sanctity of human life by showing the love of God to those in our community facing pregnancy, parenting, and post-abortion concerns. Um, and then it goes on and on. But uh, in the Statement of Principles, CareNet is an outreach ministry of Jesus Christ through His church. Therefore, CareNet embodied in its volunteers, is committed to presenting the gospel of our Lord to women with crisis pregnancies, both in word and in deed. So you, this is something I definitely am part of, I want to continue to be part of, and I want to invite you to be part of it. So we're going to have host tables. Their goal is to fill 55 tables, and we're going to do that easily. But if you want to be a part of it, Cassandra, my wife, the one I will fight for, will be in the uh, greeters area after the service. We have sign-up sheets. We're going to have a blast. Um, I believe our table is full already, but we want to fill 
as many of those 55 tables as we can. You're going to have that opportunity. And one more thing before we part. They, also, they always have a, a special guest speaker every year. Last year it was Alan West. It was spectacular. He shared a wonderful message. This year, the keynote speaker is Jeff Paul's uh, PhD. Dr. Jeff Paul's is a passionately pro-life speaker and author. Since joining Vitae Foundation in 2014, Jeff has served in various roles, most recently as research and education director. He helped lead Vitae's research project on women's health, which is currently informing the development of Vitae media and messaging and being disseminated widely across the country. Jeff and his wife, Amy, started their life together in 1993 as high school sweethearts and their wedding vows joyously given on August 8, 1998. They are blessed with two daughters, Lauren and Kendall. Jeff has spent most of his career in education and has taught and coached students from fifth grade through postgraduate. It's going to be a wonderful time, wonderful time. Again, you can sign up after the service with Cassandra in the greeters area, greeters ministry area, and we look forward to seeing all of you there. We're going to have copies of uh, the keynote speaker and what he's about out there as well. God bless. Thank you. Gotta love CareNet. They're all about the sanctity of human life and women that find themselves, I always like to say, unexpected pregnancies, not accident. I know I always hear people say, oh, I was an accident. There's no accidents when it comes to human life. The Bible says that God... He knew you even before you were born. He planned you, and you're part of his bigger plan. There's no accidents. Surprises, yes. Many, many couples have been surprised uh, with a pregnancy, but it is part of God's plan, and uh, God loves life. I want to love what God loves, don't you? We want to be one with him. Hey, and just on a side note, that's something else I saw online, or somebody showed me from Facebook. Somebody said, if you're troubled... Go out in nature and the universe will give you life. The universe doesn't give us life. The universe only has the power to do what God tells it. Amen? You might be fed and nourished and find some peace, you know, getting alone. That's always good, but it's not the life giver. Only God can give us life. We need to remember that. Let's see. The other thing, uh, what am I supposed to be announcing? Oh, yeah, yes, yes, I got it. Uh, we're going to start back with our Wednesday night studies. We only have a few weeks here before we get into the holidays, so we're going to do, um, how many of you ever heard of Judah Smith? Over here. Good, Sam, because I was going to say only the young people. I'm glad Sam raised his hand. Judah Smith, he is kind of a young pastor in his mid or upper 30s. There's a lot of these guys and women out there that uh, I love to listen to. They got energy and fire and insight. And uh, we're going to watch some of them, maybe kind of shotgun it. If, you know, just every week can be different, so you can just show up. And, uh, you know, these young guys, I was, I've always thought about this. Some of you might have. Why didn't Jesus, or why did he wait till he was 30 to start his ministry? What's going on? Because when you're a teenager, don't you think you know everything? I'm looking over here. I don't know. <laughs> why wouldn't you start then? And when you're a teenager, think about this, if you can remember that we always thought 30 was old. When you hit 30, basically life was going to be over. And, uh, <laughs> right? It just seems so far away. For some reason, it is a marker in our life. 
In Jesus' time, though, you had to be 30 to be a priest or a rabbi. And they wouldn't really recognize you before then. They had rules. Even in Chronicles, Second Chronicles, I think it says you had to do a 10-year internship from 20 to 30 to enter into the priesthood. That's a lot of time, isn't it? So that might be one reason uh, Jesus, you know, began at 30. We're not totally sure because we understand at 12, he pretty much astounded most of the other rabbis. Seemed he was ready. But let's look real quick at what we're going to see this week. You got that video, guys? Just like one minute. Talks and a series of, of messages around this idea of, of letting go. And the reason for that is Jesus teaches this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. He says, if you try to save or whoever finds his life, holds on to his life, tries to control his life, you'll lose it. Right? It'll be like sand slipping through your hand. You, the end of your days, you won't find the satisfaction, fulfillment, and meaning you're looking for. But Jesus says, whoever lets go, lays down, or loses his life because of me, for my sake, will find their life. You'll actually find the contentment, the fulfillment, the meaning, the satisfaction you're looking for. The Message Bible says you'll, you'll find who you are, and ultimately and most importantly, you'll find who, who God is really is. We're learning together and looking at different stories of how to live a life that you relinquish control of, that you let go of. So in an effort to come up with a really catchy title to these messages, I've titled this message, What Does, I'm reading it verbatim, Let Go of My Life Mean? Now that, that, that might not be clear. So I'm gonna say it again. This title of this sermon is What Does Let Go of My Life Mean? It's as simple as that. We are together as a community saying, okay, when Jesus says lose your life or lay down your life or let go of your life, what does that actually mean? Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the moments that we share. Thank you for your grace. I, I love that clip because he's wearing a T-shirt and sweatpants and a sport coat. <laughs> It's funny. I had to cut it off at the prayer time because he lives in Seattle. His church is in Seattle, and he's always praying for the Seahawks and praying against whoever the quarterback is, Tom Brady or uh, Broncos guy. I don't know everybody, but it's kind of funny. And then he always kind of sort of apologizes. But anyway, we're going to watch that uh, this week. I love these young people, these young preachers, because they do take on some difficult topics that we don't always hear, losing our life, giving it up. And, you know, gaining it through Christ. So encourage, I mean, it's for everybody, all of us. If you want to come on Wednesday night, we start at 6.30. We'll watch a video and then have some discussion about it. And great place to get to um, know one another in a deeper way. Um, let's see. I think that's about it. Next week, we're going to talk about our sister Gigi. Talk about our sister Gigi. Sounds like we're going to be gossiping about her or something. Uh, are you here today, Gigi? I didn't see her. She's going through some difficult medical things, and she's talked about it here openly, brain tumor that she's going to have removed, and we're going to have a fundraiser for her. She loves dancing, and I love that, that she does, but they're going to have a fundraiser dance. We'll give out the details next week, and hope everybody will uh, sponsor that. Let's go ahead and take up our offering. Got a lot of young people here this morning. I like it. Yeah. They're taking over the church with our permission. <laughs> Love you guys. Glad you're here. 
Father, we're so grateful for the body of Christ, so grateful for you, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. You are our peace. Jesus' very name is peace. We thank you, Father, that during troubled times that you calm the storms in our lives, that you give us faith and strength and power where we're lacking. Father, we thank you that you are ever faithful, always present, always there for us, Lord. We honor you, we bless you, we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the Light at Mission Viejo. The following are our announcements. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Esperanza is a local shelter where they, where they help battered women and children in need. The women and children in our emergency shelter are always in need of new underwear all sizes for women and children, new sports bras all sizes, new socks for women and children all sizes, new nightgowns for women and PJs for children. They are also in need of toiletries, especially shampoo and conditioner, feminine hygiene products, also toothbrushes, toothpaste, and dental floss. You can bring donated items here at the light. Please drop off at Second Archway by Coffee Bar where items can be delivered to the women and children in need. Thank you. We are still seeking more volunteers to help out in the children's ministry. We would like those interested to commit to teaching one Sunday per month. If you are interested in this wonderful ministry, please contact Grace Sebesta here at the church or you can email her at gracesebesta at gmail.com. We are having a toy drive for our children's church. Please bring clean and gently used toys. Or you may purchase or donate money for new toys. The new toys will be used here for our kids at the light. Join us this Tuesday to meet with our Grief Share Support Group. This is a 13-week session group. You may join at any time. This group meets every, every Tuesday from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. in the Fireside Room. There is a cost of $15 for the workbook. Scholarships are available. Let your journey begin from morning to joy. We are looking for a lead barista in the coffee bar. Benefits include free coffee and donuts, and an opportunity to bless others. We will train if needed. If you are interested, please call the office at 982-2080. The Light will be hosting an exciting fall festival October the 29th from 5 to 9 p.m. Glorieta Camps will be setting up their jumpers and other equipment here in, here in our parking lot. We will also have free games, candy, and trunk or treating. Concession will be available including Frito pies, hot dogs, hamburgers, snow cones, popcorn, cotton candy, and caramel apples. Children and adults of all ages in the community are invited to come. Please invite your friends. Sozo Student Ministries will be hosting a costume party immediately after the fall festival. This party is for teens only and is open to the community for all teens to come. Once again, thank you for joining us at the Light at Mission Viejo. We hope you enjoy the service.
All right. Good morning. We're doing good? All right. Three or four of you are. The rest of you are going to be doing good by the time we get out of here, okay? All right. So, uh, hey, I love this. It just disappears. Um, don't, don't, don't make me throw you. (laughs) All right. Good, good. Good morning. Good morning. So this morning I've got a message for you. You know, this happens to me all the time. Maybe it doesn't happen to you, but I'll be listening to someone. I was listening to Jensen Franklin. I'll be listening to someone teach a message, and then my mind just, I start hearing things, and my mind just goes completely different from what that message is. And God starts speaking to me about something. Does that ever happen to any of you guys? You know, where you're just, this guy, you're not even tracking with the guy, but God is speaking to you something completely different. How many is that? Has that ever happened to you guys? All right, all right, so, well, I hope it doesn't happen to you this morning, because I got a good message for you, but, um, so, I want to talk about just difficult times that we go through, and and specifically this morning about famine, but before we get into that, I just want to pray. I know we've experienced God's presence this morning, and let me just kind of give you just a little heads up on what's going on. I'll share the word, and then we've got, this is our uh, family communion Sunday, so we'll have uh, communion right after I share the word. But uh, before we get into it, let's just, I want to just ask God to just give us ears to hear this morning, okay? So join me as we pray. Father, we want to just say that we love you. There's a scripture that says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in the heaven. There is no God like you in the earth that keeps covenant and shows mercy to those that love you and walk before you with all of their heart. There's no God like our God. There is no God like our God. Father, we just want to bless you this morning. We, want, we say we love you. We pray that you would stir up our hearts, God, that you would plow up fallow ground, that you would give us an ear to hear, that, God, your word would fall upon fertile soil, and it would bring forth a great harvest this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And, hey, remember our psalm, Psalm 47? Shout it to the Lord, all you people. Clap your hands. Come on. Come on. Let's give it up for Jesus. So, let me, I'm going to talk to you about two instances of famine in the Old Testament. And the first one is in the, um, the book of Ruth. And it says, we're just going to just jump right into it. In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And famine is typically caused by, you know, just bad weather conditions, sometimes war. If you look in Revelation, I think it's chapter 5, it talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And, you know, all of this doom and gloom that's going to come up on the world in the tribulation days, in these days of tribulation, talks about war, talks about famine and pestilence. You know, these are difficult, dreadful, stressful times. And uh, so it says that in the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. This is in Bethlehem. Uh, That's a familiar name. Uh, It says, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So get this. Bethlehem, by the way, the, the name Bethlehem translates, it means house of bread. And so there is no bread in the house of bread. 
It's famine. It, it's desolate. There's nothing there. And so if you, uh, if you kind of you know where, just kind of visualize Jerusalem in your mind, if you just kind of went east of Jerusalem and just you cross the Jordan River, and then that's the area of Moab. And uh, so they decided to bail from Bethlehem and go over to Moab and just kind of wait out the storm. And so they're, they're running from death. They're running from difficult times. They're running from hard times. You know, and typically that's what you and I'll do. When things get tough in our life, we just want to move on. We don't want to weather the storm. You know, we want somebody to fix it. Give us a quick fix right now. And so it says that together with his wife and two sons, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And he had two sons, Malon and Kilion. And they were from Bethlehem, and they went to Moab to live there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Okay, get this, all right? Running from death in Bethlehem, Goes over to Moab because that's where he's going to be safe. But he dies in Moab. And she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women. One was named Orpha and the other was Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. So running from death, running from famine, running from difficulty... And ran right in to death. You guys remember the story? It's an old um, Arab fable about a man that lived in Baghdad. He was a you know very wealthy merchant, and he had a servant named Ahmed, and he wanted to put on a banquet. Uh, the merchant, this Baghdad merchant, wants to put on a banquet, so he sends Ahmed into the city into Baghdad to do the shopping. Great feast that evening. Go by the fruit, the vegetables, the meats, prepare everything for this banquet. It was a several-hour journey in, several-hour journey back, and Ahmed goes in, turns around, and, you know, while Ahmed is in the market, he's walking through doing his shopping, and someone grabbed him on the shoulder, and he looked up, and it was the messenger of death staring him in the face. And it terrified him, and he dropped everything that he had. He runs back to his master, and his master's like, what are you doing? Where's the food? Where's the groceries? And he begins to tell him the story about how this messenger of death looked at him. Death himself grabbed him by the arm and, and looked at him. And he said, well, you did right to come back. What do you want to do? And he said, I need your fastest horse. I need to flee. I have a friend that lives in, in, in uh, Samara. And he says, if I can just take your fastest horse and, and get to Samara, I need to outrun death. And so his master said, you've said well. Take my fastest horse and, and ride. Ride to your friend's house in Samara. And so the, the merchant, still having to do the, um, the, the banquet that night, he, he goes into town. And he's actually looking for this messenger of death. And he finds in this dark corner the messenger of death there. And he walks up to him and he said, what do you mean? You know, frightening my servant like that. Why did you give him that frightened look and scare him? And he says, you know, it wasn't a frightened look that I gave him. It was a surprised look. He said, I was surprised to see him in Baghdad because I have an appointment with him tonight at his friend's house in Samara. You can't outrun it. You better be ready. And that's exactly what happened to this family, Malon and Kilion and Naomi and Elimelech, 
running from death only to run right into it. There's another story about a famine, and we'll pick this one up in, um, in Genesis chapter 20, in Genesis chapter 27. And in Genesis chapter 27, we read about um, Isaac. By the way, you know, I don't, you know, if you've really ever studied this, Abraham lived about 175 years, and um, Isaac lived 180 years, Abraham lived 175 years, and Jacob lived uh, 147 years. There are 13 chapters in the Bible about Abraham, and roughly 13 chapters in the Bible dedicated to Jacob. There's only one real chapter that kind of singles out the life of Isaac, and we're in it right now. The story about Isaac. Moses writing this, and it's not in chronological order. Um, the uh, chapter before that talks about things that had happened after this event. So, um, but it says, again, it starts out like this. It says, there was a, and this is the first time, by the way, that Abraham, God had established his covenant with Abraham. He told him all about it and, um, you know, visited Abraham, you know, time and time again. But this is really the first time that God has an encounter, a one-on-one -on -one in this, this chapter right here with Isaac. And he reaffirms the covenant with Isaac about giving him the land and the promise of the land to him and his descendants. And so if this story sounds familiar to you, because it's almost word for word about uh, an event that happens in Abraham's life, it begins like this. It says there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Remember, that's what Abraham did. Abraham, when there was a famine in the land, Abraham went down to Egypt, and he took his wife Sarah with him. But the Lord tells Isaac, he says, don't go down to Egypt. He says, live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you. Remember, it's a famine in the land, death and plague and, you know, all of these terrible things that go with it. He says, stay in the land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you in the land. Guys, I want you to think about this. The land that you're in right now, some of you are, have a tendency and a, and a propensity. You want to move. You want to get out of this spot. You may be in a difficult spot this morning in a relationship, in a marriage, in your job, in your finances. And typically, you know, guys, we want to fly. We, we want to either, we, we want to avoid the fight and we would rather flight. We'd rather flee. He says, stay in this land for a while and I'll be with you and I'll bless you. For to you, he's re reiterating the covenant, to you and to your descendants, I'll give you all the land that I will confirm with the oath that I swore to your father Abraham, and I will make you and your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands, and through your offsprings, all nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything that I required of him, keeping my commandments, my decrees, and my instruction. Now listen to this. Now, here comes the part that Isaac, just kind of like his father, okay? Abraham was known for his obedience. Now, Isaac gets this word about staying in the land. Again, it would have been easier to run, but Isaac, listening to the, taking heed, taking heed to the voice of God, he stayed in Gerar. And when the men in that place asked him about his wife, he said, this sounds familiar, this is exactly what Abraham said. He takes a play from, uh, or page from Abraham's playbook, you know, when you are threatened, when your life is threatened, say your wife is your sister. That's what he said. 
She's my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca. And that's exactly what they, they would do. I mean, you know, if, uh, you, know, if you found a, a guy that had a beautiful wife, you, you know, you just kill him. Uh, they didn't have a problem with, uh, with murder. They had a problem with adultery, but they didn't have a problem with murder. And so he says that Isaac, the Philistines looked out the window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech summoned Isaac. And he said, she is really your wife. Why did you say that she's my sister? And Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this that you've done? One of our men might have well slept with your wife. Again, concerned about, I mean, this is a pagan people, but marriage was important to them. The sanctity of marriage between a husband and wife was important to them. One of the men might have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. And Abimelech gave the order to the people Anyone who harms this man or his wife will be put to death. And so Isaac planted crops. And remember, he stayed in the land, this difficult land where famine is in the land. And in that land, the same year, he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. Every seed that he put in, he got a hundred times more than he planted. And the man became rich and wealth continued to grow until he became very, very wealthy. He had many flocks and herds and servants and the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, and they filled with earth. They began to plug those wells. It's one of the things that the enemy will do in my life and in your life as well. When you begin to draw close with God, you begin to walk with God, the enemy will do everything he can to stop the flow of life in your well. Your, your wellspring, out of your, out of your belly, the, river, the word says, out of your belly will flow these rivers of living water. But when you start drawing close to God, the enemy will do everything to turn up the heat in your life to keep that river of living water from flowing. And, I mean, distractions and circumstances and difficult times and hard times will come into your life so that that water stops the flow. But I'm telling you, when you draw close to God, when God is with you, when, you're, when he is that ever-present help in a time of trouble, ever-present help in a time of need, he will keep the enemy from stopping the flow of your well because he wants your well to flow. Amen? Okay. It says, so Isaac moved away from there. He camped in the valley of Gerar where he settled, and Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham had died. He gave them the same names his father had given them, Isaac, servant dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac's and said, the water is ours. And so he named the well Essek because they disputed. That's what it means. It means dispute. They disputed with him. And then they dug another well. Isaac and his servants dug another well. But they quarreled over that well also, and he named it Sitna. And he moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it, and he named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has made room for us, and we will flourish in the land. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to flourish in your land. He said, from there, he went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him, and he said, I am the Lord, your God, the God of Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, and I will increase the numbers of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and his servants dug a well. And meanwhile, the king, this Philistine king, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, uh, his personal advisor, 
uh, and the commander of his forces. And Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? And they said, now listen to this, and this is what you need to hear. He said, we saw clearly that the Lord, this unbelieving people, these are Philistine people, they don't believe, they, don't, they have not embraced the Lord God of Abraham. They've got their own little gods, their idols, their cult worship. He said, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. And so we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us. Between us and you, let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you in any way, but treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you were blessed by the Lord. And Isaac made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. And early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other, and then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. There are three points that I want to just, you know, and I'll move through these quickly for us this morning. But I want you to get a hold of this, because if you embrace this right here, it will be life-changing for you. Number one, Isaac stayed where he was. He stayed where the Lord told him to stay. It was a hard time. It was a difficult time. He was going through some stress. He was going through some struggles. And I'm going to tell you that some of you are in that place right now this morning. Difficult time, hard time, stressful times in your life. And it can be in your marriage. It can be in finances. It could be a health issue. Maybe some of you are struggling with sin. Over and over again, you keep confessing the same sin over and over again. And life seems to be difficult for you. And sometimes you're wondering, God, where are you? Where are you? And God says to Isaac, he says, I want you to stay where you are. Don't run from this. Don't try to get out. Don't look for a quick fix. Stay here and work on this. He says that if you, it's what he told Isaac, if you stay in this land, if you stay in this place, he says, I will multiply you. I will give you. I will I'll, I'll cause the land that you're in. If you'll sow in this land, if you'll sow into this marriage, if you'll sow into this relationship with your children, if you'll sow into this business, if you'll sow into this education, God say, he told Isaac, he said, I'll multiply it to the place where you bring, you bring forth a hundredfold. Amen. And he said, he said, Lord, the Lord appeared to Isaac. He said, do not go down to Egypt. Don't run away from this problem. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for uh, a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. And then, uh, you know, God reminds him and us as well. He reminds Isaac about what Abraham did. He, he gives Isaac the command about staying in the land, and then he tells him, he reiterates what he told Abraham. He said, Abraham obeyed me. Abraham listened to my voice. That word in Hebrew is Shema. It, it doesn't mean just hear. Shema Israel. Hear. Take heed. Listen to. Be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. Shema. Shema. Listen. Listen. Take heed to what I'm telling you to do. And so Isaac was a, a faithful. He was obedient. He stayed in the land. Um, again, you know, we're talking about difficult times, famine, but God's saying that you have got to persevere. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a great harvest if we don't give up, if we don't quit, if you don't quit. Amen? And then he says, Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, he says, Who is likened to you, O God's? O oh Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. And then the second point is, he says that, you know, stay. Stay in this place. God's speaking to some of you this morning. Stay in this place. And then he says, number two, endure. It says that he endured. Isaac endured. He persevered. He, 
he pressed through a severe time in this famine. It says, again, just reading the scripture, Isaac's servants dug wells and discovered the wells of fresh water, but the herders of Gerar quarreled. There was quarreling that was going on. It's easy to run away from that. Nobody wants to be in that kind of tension. Nobody wants to be in that, under that kind of stress. And the, the uh, herder says the water is ours. And so Isaac just kind of kept his heart right. These are, these are things that you and I need to do when we're going through this time, keeping your heart right. Keeping your, you know, guarding, setting a guard over your tongue and over your heart. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get mad. It's easy to bail. And so they quarreled. Nobody wants to be in that. And then the next uh, place, the next well was Essex. They disputed. Nobody wants to be in these, uh, the strife and this contention. It's easy to walk away from it. And he said, another well, and they quarreled over that one also. It would have been so easy for Isaac just to say, man, I'm, I'm moving myself many, many miles from this place. But God said, stay in the land, and I will cause you to be fruitful, and you will produce a hundredfold in that land. Hebrews chapter 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that would so easily entangle, and let us run with perseverance. Let us run. Yes, it's going to be hard. Things in life are not always going to be easy. You don't always have the, uh, the smooth road. You don't always have, uh, you know, the, um, the, the place in your life where, you know, you're problem-free. You know, and, and some of you are wondering right now, you know, you've, got, you've had dreams and visions and, and desires in your heart, and you're wondering, God, will those ever be fulfilled? Will that ever come to pass in my life? And God's saying, if you don't give up, if you don't quit, you'll see the hand of the Lord begin to move in your life. Let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. James chapter 1 says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those. And so um, I want you to just think about this. You know, just think about where we would be today. You know, Noah building, God tells Noah to build this ark. He's out there in the middle of the desert. There's no lake. There's no water. There's no rain. It had never rained on the earth before, and Noah is building. The mockers come by. The screamers come by. The doubters, the unbelievers come by, making fun of him, mocking him. What are you doing? What are you building here? Oh, it was all fun and games. It was easy to point the finger until that first clap of thunder, until that first raindrop fell, and then the tables had turned. It would have been easy for Moses on the backside of the desert. He is running for his life. He's running from Pharaoh. It would have been so easy when God called him on the backside of the desert and said, I want you to go back to Pharaoh's court. It would have been so easy for Moses to say, man, I'm not going back there. The guy tried to kill me. He's going to try to kill me again. I'm not going back there. It would have been so easy for young David to say, man, that guy, that giant is, I mean, he's nine foot tall. Look at me. I'm just a little five foot nothing. You know, it would have been so easy, but young man, he stood his ground and changed the history of Israel. God's looking for you, men and women just like you to change the history of this city and of our nation as well. It would have been so easy, you know, for Jeremiah and all the other prophets. It would have been so easy for, you know, uh, I, uh, Elijah, you know, to just say, you know, God, you know, I mean, I, I'm tired of this famine. It was a famine there as well. No rain upon the land. And he, it would have been so easy for him to say, God, you know, I'm quitting. In fact, he did want to quit. You know, he got to the place where he was suicidal and he wanted to check out. But God spoke to him and encouraged him. And many times, you know, 
God, you see this scripture, this pattern over and over again in the scripture with Peter and James and John and even our Lord himself. You know, I want to, uh, I've got a quick video I want to show you, but while they're setting that up, some of you guys will remember this. This was in the, in the, in uh, November the 25th, and this was 20, uh, 1980 at the Superdome in New, in New Orleans. One of the, one of the greatest fights in uh, the 20th century between Roberta, uh, uh, Robert Duran and uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. And let me just give you a little, while they're queuing this up, they had already had a fight before. Roberta, uh, Robert uh, Duran had, uh, had won. They'd already had a fight, and Duran had won the first fight. And Duran had 72 record wins and just one loss. He had won his last 40 fights. He had won his last 40 fights. And uh, he was on a winning streak, and the odds were in Duran's favor to win this fight as well. But uh, in the middle of the eighth round, there was something that happened. Let me just kind of, you know, kill the lights. Let me show you this. It's only a couple of minutes, and I'll come back and wrap this message up. Unbelievable, un- unbelievable fight. You know, it says, and and Duran was just so frustrated that he he would never been had not been knocked out in that fight. He was has was not bleeding. He was not hurt, but because of frustration, he quit. 
He quit. No one remembers his 72 wins. No one remembers the last 40 fights that he won. No one remembers that. The only thing that they remember is Duran said, no mas, I don't want to fight anymore. He was so frustrated with Sugar Ray Leonard that he quit. And some of you guys are right at that place right now where, you know, you want to quit in life. You want to quit in marriages. You want to quit in businesses. You want to quit in education. You want to quit with your children. You know, you just want to give up. And some of, you know, some of you and many in America today, you know, that over, uh, over the last year, over one million Americans attempted to take their life. We can't quit. God has not called us to be quitters. He's called us to be overcomers. He's called you to be an overcomer. He's called me to be an overcomer. You know, some of the greatest men and women in the Bible wanted to quit. Elijah said to the Lord, go ahead and just take my life. I'm finished. I'm done. God's angel found him underneath a, I think it's called a broom tree ready to die. The angel stopped and ministered to him, made that, that angel food cake and gave him life and encouraged him. And it says that he went on in the strength of that for another 40 days. Job said, cursed be the day that I was born. Job chapter 3 verse 1. And Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And he said, oh, that my eyes were a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night, just wanting to just quit and just give up. And God's saying that if you'll stay in the land that I've planted you in, if you'll stay, if you'll be faithful, if you'll be obedient to my voice in the land that I'm planted, that I planted you in, I will make you successful in that place. And I will raise you up so that you are testimony, that you bring glory, that your life and your work will bring glory to the Lord. That's what God wants you and I to do. And so Isaac stayed in the land and he received the promises. He received these promises of God. God told him to stay in the land. God told him to uh, prosper in the land, to persevere in the land. And then he tells him, and then we find out that he received the promises of God. This is my last point. And again, again just reiterating what uh, the king said, Abimelech said, anyone who harms this man or his wife, I remember these, this is the promise of God. God said that you're going to be successful. I will plant you in the land, and it's going to be okay. Even though there's difficulty going on all around you, God's saying you're going to be okay in the land. Anyone, this is the king's decree, anyone that harms this man or his wife shall be put to death. This is the enemy. This is the, the enemy king saying this about Isaac. And Isaac planted crops that, uh, in the land the same year and reaped a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him, and the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he was very wealthy. And he had many flocks and herds and servants, and the Philistines envied him. Number one, he had the protection of the king. Number two, he, he had prosperity. He flourished in a land of famine. And number three, he had peace with his enemies. This is what the Word of God says. When a man's ways please the Lord, he will make even his enemies to be at peace with him. And then in Psalm 37, I think I've got that reversed on, the, on my board, but, there, but day by day the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times, and even in famine they will have more than enough. This is a promise from God. These are those promises of God for, for you and I that we can, we can embrace. I'll close with this final story here that um, 
There was a, a man by the name of um, um, Edmund McElhenney. Um, he was uh, from Maryland, 19, or 1840s. He moved from Maryland to uh, Avery Island, uh, which is just very close to uh, New Orleans. Avery Island was a salt dome. He bought the land there, started farming, and um, then shortly after a while, civil war broke out, and, um, you know, the, 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 the uh, forces uh, forced um, uh, Edmund and his family to move away. They, they started moving toward Texas. All the families on the island vacated the island, moved away, and... Um, that uh, after the war in 1868, they, you know, started filtering back in. But um, the, uh, the island, the, 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 the war had, it was that uh, um, torched earth kind of mentality, just, you know, torch and burn everything that you see. His farm had burned down. His house had burned down, barns and fields, everything completely destroyed, fences destroyed. And uh, he came back. And the only thing that, that he had, the only thing that was there, and none of the other people would come back. I mean, it was just a salt dome. There was no, really no work there. The other people that had moved away into towns like New Orleans to find other jobs, they'd move there. And, uh, but but uh, um, um, uh, Edmund uh, McElhenney uh, just decided that he was going to stay, that he was going to stay there. And so he goes back, and uh, even though all the crops had been destroyed, there were these little... Uh, little small peppers that had just kind of, they thrived in that climate, and they were, had taken over the fields and gardens and everything, and that's all he had. He had uh, the salt from the salt uh, domes there, and uh, so he decided that he was going to stay and just kind of, you know, make the best of what he had. Uh, as he searched around, and, you know, uh, he found an old whiskey barrel that had uh, some vinegar that the French had left. Um, it was... Uh, you know, a, a, like a 50-gallon barrel of vinegar. He began to play with the spices of, of the vinegar the, and the salt and the little pepper seeds, and he crushed up, and he made kind of a nice little sauce out of it, hot sauce out of it, and, you know, him and his wife thought it was pretty good. And One day he was down at the local dump, and he found 350 uh, perfume bottles that somebody had thrown in the dump. He brought those home and, and began to put this hot sauce into... Um, into, into those little jars, and they took and went to town. He told his wife, you know, this is pretty good stuff. Maybe we could sell it. Goes into town and into New Orleans, and some of the uh, restaurants decided to buy some of it, and some of the stores decided to buy some of it. And, um, you know, it became very popular, and he's selling more and more of this. And, um, you, know, it's, uh, you know what it is. It's the Tabasco sauce. It's Tabasco sauce that we have today. And, and, and it all happened because... You know, when, when, uh, when Edmund went back, you know, when, when he went back to Avery Island and nobody went with him, he decided that he would stay and that he would make a go of what he had. I want to tell you that, you know, you look at the Scriptures and many times God will, you know, he doesn't go to some outside source 
to get what you need. Usually what he has is what you already have. What he wants to use is what you already have. Let me give you a couple of examples, okay? Moses, when, when God calls Moses on the other side of the desert, and Moses is debating with God, he says, like, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can go. And God says to Moses, he said, what do you have in your hand? And uh, Moses says, a staff. And he says, lay it down on the ground. So he lays it down on the ground. The staff becomes a serpent. And... Uh, terrifies Moses. He's like running for his life. God says, pick it up. And then the serpent turns back into a staff. And God says, with this staff, I will deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. And you know, you'll remember the story. God used the staff. Moses used the staff to bring forth almost all of those plagues. And fast forward into uh, the story I just mentioned earlier about Elijah. He sees this widow woman. He walks up to her and he says, what do you have? I've got a little bit of oil and I've got a little bit of meal that I have. And my son and I are going to, we're going to eat this. We're going to cook this and prepare it. We're getting ready to die. And God says through, you know, or the, the uh, prophet said to the woman that God will use that. He says he'll take that little bit that you have, the little oil that you have and the little meal that you have, and he will sustain you on that, what you have in your hand. He will keep you alive with that and make you successful and make you prosper with what you have. And then you move to the New Testament, and Jesus is standing there with a crowd of about 5,000, I think, men, plus women and children, and he's thinking, they've been with me for three days. They need something to eat. And he asked the disciples, he said, says, you know, what are we going to do? You know, just kind of testing them. Do you have money? Can we go into town and buy something? And they began to, you know, the argument, you know, if we worked for, all of us worked for a whole year, it wouldn't be enough to feed these people. And Jesus said, what do you have? And I'm asking you this this morning too. What do you have? And, and they said, well, we've got a few little fish. We got a few little fish and we got some loaves. And Jesus said, that's enough. What you have is in your hand. I want to just tell you that, you know, your ideas, your dreams, your visions is what you have. And God will use those if you don't give up, if you don't quit your dreams, if you don't quit your visions, if you'll stay in the place that God has planted you in, God will cause you to succeed. Don't quit God because he's not quitting you. So um, Edmund, um, I think it's McElhenney, um, the founder of Tabasco Sauce, this is the rest of the story. He stayed there, became successful, and uh, the Tabasco Sauce Corporation from that time forward has been, it's passed on through five generations, and I think the last report was their annual sales. They are in, uh, I think, 100 and, uh, 170 some odd, uh, 185 countries, and the package is labeled in 22 different languages. Last year, they, it was a two, listen to this, $200 million business, okay? And it's been doing that year after year after year since, you know, the 1860s, a successful business. Because when everyone decided to bail from the island, from Avery Island, and this guy, Edmund, decided that he wouldn't quit, that he was going to go back, and he was going to let God use what he had right there in front of him, just growing wild some peppers, the salt dome, and some vinegar from an old whiskey barrel, put it together and made one of the world's finest hot sauces around. I know all of you love it. I'm talking about hot sauce. You're probably getting hungry right now. So, guys, the bottom line is don't quit. Don't quit. It's easy to run. It's easy to bail. It's easy to flee. It's difficult sometimes to fight, 
So I want to pray. We're going to have our communion service this morning. I'm going to ask those that are going to serve us if you'll come forward. And while they are doing that, I just want us to prepare our hearts. So uh, I want you to just think about, if you just bow your head for a moment and uh, think about things that are tempting you to quit right now, things that you want to walk away from, things that you want to give up on. You know, sometimes it takes strength to move forward and not physical strength, not pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of strength. You need the strength of God. You need the strength of God to breathe on you. You need, you know, a visitation from God, just like Elijah had when he was ready to check out a life. He wanted to quit. He wanted to die. wanted to give it all up. It was easier to run. In fact, that's what he was doing. He was running from God when God caught up with him. So I just want you to just search your heart, search your mind. If there's an area in your life that you just feel like you need to be strengthened in again. Why don't you just stand with me for just a moment? And uh, I want to pray with you. I want to pray that God will give you an extra measure of his grace this morning. You know, God's looking for young Davids that are not afraid to go out and meet the giant. But see, David didn't do that because of his strength. David did that because God was his strength. And Elijah wasn't able to move on because of his strength. In fact, his strength was spent. He moved on because God gave him strength. The disciples were hiding in a little house outside of Jerusalem. After Jesus was crucified, they were afraid, hiding, doing the world absolutely no good because this message is not to be hidden. It's to be proclaimed. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ a little house hiding the message and Jesus shows up and it says that Jesus empowered them. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And you turn the page and Peter, the one that was hiding in the house and denying Jesus the three times, is standing in the public square declaring, this is the Messiah. This is the one that you crucified. And the men and women that heard that message said, Sir, what shall we do? What do we do? He said, repent and be baptized every, name of, every, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive this power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you're, you're feeling weak today, if you're feeling, you know, like you don't want to engage in the fight today, there's only one answer for you. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life this morning. And that's how I want to pray for you. And so um, I, I just want you to just, you can lift your hands. You can put your hands in your pocket. You can sit on your hands. You can do whatever you want to with your hands. But I just want, you know, like if God was going to pour something into your hand this morning, how would you receive it? And if you just hold your hand like that, Lord, I'm just asking for a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit this morning in our lives, God, because we declare that while I am weak, you are strong. Lord, that uh, you can lift us up out of that miry, miry pit, Lord God. You can lift us up to the rock that's higher than we are this morning. Father, you can breathe upon us afresh. You can put fire back in our bosom again, Lord God. 
Father, you can anoint us with the power from on high. Lord God, that we can be bold witnesses, that we can endure the fight, we can do, endure the trial and the temptations, Lord God, because of what you've done in our life. We say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, enable and empower your people this morning, Father. Fill us with your life and light. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people lifted up a shout of joy and said, our God is good and our God reigns. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, so I want you to come on up, and we're going to uh, partake in the communion elements. If you'll just take the cup and take the bread and go back to your seat, and then we'll partake together. So I remember in my own life, um, as I mentioned, you know, sometimes we do want to quit. We want to give up. And, um, you know, for, for those of you that don't know my history, my past, before I was a pastor, I was a real estate broker, developer, still do that on the side. But I'd bought a piece of land, a piece of property, several hundred acres. And after I bought it, uh, some of the uh, folks that uh, knew the area told me that, you know, uh, the land you bought doesn't have water on it. And uh, you can be assured that if you drill more than 400 feet, a water well on this property, and you don't get water, uh, it's a bust. Give up. And so uh, I hired a well driller, went out and drilled the 400 foot. This guy, he's new. He just moved here from Ohio. I think I was the first well that he drilled in New Mexico. 
And, uh, and so I don't know how I got myself into that. I should have got a local guy. But uh, um, anyway, you know, I'm seeing him every day, you know, 200 feet, no water, 300 feet, no water, 350, no water. And then the big day, the big 400-foot day came, no water. And, uh, you know, the guy, I just said, man, pull the plug on it. Let's move. And he said, Ron, you know, I tell you, I just, I feel, I feel like there's water there. And um, I said, Ben, I don't care how much you feel it. I'm the one, that I'm, this is my pocketbook. I'm the one that's buying. I'm the one that's paying right here. He said, no, I, I really feel like we need to keep going. See, I was ready to quit. I was ready to quit. That was about 9 o'clock in the morning, about, I think, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I get a telephone call. He said, Ron, we hit it. He said, I went another 25 feet. See, I was ready to quit at 400 foot. But he said, I went another 25 feet, and we hit it. And we hit it. We hit it big. And see, I want to tell you that some of you guys are ready to hit it big, but you're 400 feet away. You need to go that extra 25 feet. Go that extra 25 feet. The Bible says that on the day that Jesus Christ was betrayed that night, that evening, he just got through, just think about it, he's with the disciples, he's washed their feet, including the feet of Judas. He's washed his feet. And this is the hour of betrayal. But it says that he had taken bread with those men. These are the men that he'd been with for a little over three years. And he's instituting a new covenant with them. Jesus left us with two covenants, by the way. One is the one we're doing right now. This is called communion, the Lord's Supper. The other one is baptism. By the way, if you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. But uh, it says that he took bread, and he's just telling them, you know, they still don't understand that he's got to be betrayed and that uh, he will be beaten and mocked and ridiculed, nailed to a cross, placed in a tomb, and three days later he'll be raised from the dead. They, they, they have not grasped that. But he's telling them, this is my body which is broken for you, all of you partake of. And in the same manner, he says, he took a cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as we think about that this morning, this cup does not forgive us our sins. It's symbolic of the blood of Jesus. Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus says that it's my blood and through my blood that your sins will be forgiven. And this cup is symbolic of that shed blood on that day at Calvary's cross. He says this cup is the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins all of you partake and he reminds them that as often as they eat that bread and as often as we drink that cup we're remembering Jesus I want you to remember Jesus because he is coming back he's coming back he's coming back for a bride that has made herself ready and that's what our job is daily making ourselves ready to make ourselves presentable 
that we could be like a little lamb without spot or blemish as we appear and stand before the Lord. And he enables us to do that again through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, guys, I want to just say I love you guys. I'm, you know, blessed that you're here this morning. You know, I, I, I know that we love God here in this place. I know you love God. I know that you have struggles in life. But I want to tell you that greater is he that is in you than any problem that you have, any, any circumstance that you're going through. Greater is he that is in you than he that's trying to come against you. Amen. Our God is great, and he deserves a shout of praise as we walk out of this place. Amen. Our God is great. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God bless you guys. Love you.